0: Firstly, if you've not already done so, remove the speaker from its stand and place it within the car. Secondly, adjust the volume control to right for loud, left for soft. Hey, film fans from around the world. Welcome back to another episode of Film Itself, your weekly interview podcast talking to people inside and outside the film industry about the work they do and the films they love. On today's show, a conversation with one of my first friends uh, on social media. I met him just after I joined Twitter. That would have been just after I started Daily Grindhouse, I guess. Uh, Mr. Steven Scarlatta is joining us today. After Daily Grindhouse, I went on to create One Perfect Shot, and he went on to create one of my favorite documentaries about... I guess about film production and the movie that could have been. Of course, I'm talking about Jodorowsky's Dune, which uh, Mr. Scarlatta produced. His latest film is Beyond the Gates, starring the amazing Barbara Crampton, Graham Skipper, and Chase Williams. This movie, this caught me by surprise. This follows two brothers who reunite after their father disappears and and they go to their dad's video store where they stumble upon a VCR board game that is this portal to kind of uh, this weird alternate reality. If you're a movie fan, you're going to dig this. If you're a VHS collector, you're going to dig this. If you're a fan of practical effects, you're gonna dig it. This is a really loving tribute to the movies you would watch late at night with a blanket over your head as a kid. This is a creep show meets Jumanji kind of jam and it's all kinds of cool. This movie was completely off my radar. showed up in the mail, and the cover art sold me. It's just like wandering through the aisles of, uh, of my old video store, where the cover art for horror films was always amazing, and it always sucked you in, regardless of what was inside. You know, the cover art didn't necessarily represent the movie itself, but it, it got you to the video counter with the film, uh, and it got you to bring it home. Um, this is a movie where the the cover art matches the the film inside. It matches the quality inside. Uh, it's got that great Scream Factory cover art. So I pressed play and flipped out. This is my kind of jam. I spent a, a decade working in video stores, so this movie had my number. It's out now on home video from uh, from uh, Scream Factory and just landed on Netflix for your streaming pleasure, so make sure to check it out. I hope you get a little something out of my conversation with Steven. I began, as I always do, by asking him about
1: the first film that changed his life. Uh, the first movie that changed my life is Jaws. Nice. It's yeah. It was that movie, either ruined my life or changed my life because that movie made me want to become a <laughs> filmmaker, and which has just been—it's a hard industry. Yeah, <laughs> you it's, know? Not, so it's I, not easy. Yeah. So I don't know if it if it was a curse that movie or, or what, but I was obsessed with that movie. Obsessed with that movie. Like if you couldn't believe.
0: Now, did that carry over with with Spielberg when uh, you know he went into uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark and ET and all of that, or was it just was it the the that specific film that launched you into the horror genre, or, or what was kind of the uh, the peripheral effect of of loving that movie for you?
1: Well, I've I've always been into horror. Like I like you like when I was a teenager, I rented a movie called Horror Express, and my dad flipped out. He was like, "Yo, this is the movie." this was the first horror movie you watched you know so i don't remember watching my first horror film i've always just been into them it's because they've always dad,
0: just been movies to you not necessarily horror films right
1: exactly it was yeah. what i was always attracted to plus you know i'm i'm kind of older i'm in my like early 40s so i still feel like i'm in my 20s so every time right. I think about it, i'm like 40 it freaks me out i'm like how the fuck but anyway um so you and i grew up at the same time period where we only had very few channels but all the stuff that was on tv was always genre stuff right it was always horror movies it was always king kong during thanksgiving there was always godzilla marathons on like channel nine where i grew up and, and martial art movies on saturday mornings and then throughout the 80s gilbert godfrey's up all night and joe bob briggs driving the theater right we didn't have a lot of Channels, but horror and sci-fi and genre cinema, and you know, were always in our faces. So it was just something I naturally just grew up with because that's what was always on. Plus, I think that's I was always attracted to that stuff as well. You know, whenever I rent movies, would be constant horror films. So I mean, to go back with your question about Spielberg, I, I loved. I did love Spielberg's aesthetic. I mean, Jaws was a huge, huge film for me, and so was the sequels. But Raiders was really big because it just was this... You know, at the time, we I think before Raiders, our big action films was James Bond movies, you know? Right. Those were, those were our huge action films, but they were really serious. And, you know, but that's all we kind of had, I think. But then when raiders and then spielberg came out and just redefined action and throughout the 80s when just then when joel silver got in it just you know exploded and then i just absorb absorb all of that but i do love spielberg and i love all the movies that he executive produced i mean like all the dante stuff and you know goonies and everything i mean that was all a huge impact on me growing up in the 80s because i was a kid when all that stuff was coming out
0: right Horror Express is a good, that's a good first horror movie for somebody.
1: Yeah, I I wish I remembered watching it for the first time, but I have no clue. It was just, but from that moment on, I was just, yeah, I've always loved horror.
0: Do you remember the first movie that scared you?
1: Holy shit. Okay, so it wasn't... I mean, I'll put Jaws aside because Jaws was the, ter- was the most terrifying movie. The first few films that freaked me out were... Like, Jaws uh,
0: was a terrifying movie, but you never thought... Like, you could go to bed because you knew the jo- You know, Jaws wasn't yeah. going to get you in bed. But was the yeah. first movie where, like, <laughs> I'm afraid to go to sleep because this fucker's going to kill me.
1: Oh, yeah. It's definitely the... Uh, it, it, yeah, that's definitely, like, around the time Halloween came out because right. it was, like, the first time seeing someone stalk around... Because I lived in the suburbs in Long Island, and it's just like, it looked like where I lived. There were just homes in the sky walking around the streets, you know? So anytime I, you know, my, my street, we had half a street and across the street was like this weird sump area and industrial. So half our street was like suburbs, the other half was just weird, so We get all kinds of weird characters walking down the street at night, and that was just always nightmare-inducing for me, just seeing people just – you know, because Michael Myers in the shadows. It was – yeah, so it was definitely Halloween and the second Friday the 13th because I had that opening of him walking around a neighborhood to kill uh, the, the survivor from the first one, which is so bizarre. But yeah, those two things, like I was terrified.
0: You know what's weird about Friday the 13th is uh, the character never scared me for some reason. Like Leatherface scared me and Carrie scared me. Like the more kind of psychological stuff kind of scared me. Um, in fact, I'll say that the scene where she, Leatherface is chasing her and, and the, the bushes get are getting tighter and tighter and tighter, that freaked me out. Um, but with Friday the 13th, it was always the music would give me such horrendous nightmares. Like, the guy himself, uh, you know, Jason Voorhees didn't scare me for whatever reason, but that music, man, that music, still
1: to this day, it it can
0: give me goosebumps.
1: (laughs) Yeah, as a kid, too, There's something about it, because it was really strange, that music. Yeah, it's (laughs) it's disorienting a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, excuse me for a second. Um, Yeah, but I'll tell you the truth, you know, like, yeah, as a kid, it was just that the part two, the opening of having him on a street, scared the shit out of me. But yeah. the one that destroyed me was Phantasm because I watched it really young, and I don't know if you remember, but like in the early eighties, there was this there was like this TV movie that came out called Adam about a kid that was kidnapped. Oh yeah,
0: absolutely yeah, about Adam Walsh, uh, the guy from uh, America's Most Wanted, his kid.
1: Yeah, that that TV movie was terrifying because was. also. On my block, like in the, one day, three, there was like, I, I was in my room and I heard screaming from these y- young girls. And then eventually, when I got outside, there was all kinds of parents outside and the street was filled with people because there were these three girls running down our street being chased by a van that was trying to pull them in Holy to shit. kidnap them. You know? Yeah. <laughs> and so, so. I, so because of Adam and that threat, um, I was the thing was the video store was was like it was a was like a ten minute bike ride, you know, from my house to get there. And after those events, I was terrified to leave my house because I was terrified I was going to be kidnapped. You know, I mean, I was a kid, and you know, and be, you know, all that shit gets in your head. So phantasm scared the shit out of me because it wasn't a man in a mask; it was just this guy. <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah. this young kid that's like my age, you know, throwing him in the car and the kid is useless to him. So that was probably the most terrifying movie for me growing up just because of this guy who's just looks like a man chasing this boy who is my age. Right. You know? But because of Phantasm, my brother had a uh, eventually got one of those first blood and then eventually the Rambo survival knives. So whenever I'd go up to the <laughs> video store. I would keep that on me. Just oh, because nice. Wow. Because that's Kid Phantasm did it. Yeah. Yes. You know, so that movie did kind of teach me a little bit about like, hey, don't fear. Be like the Kid in Phantasm. Just have this knife and, you know, I'll keep you safe.
0: <laughs> that is awesome. Man, I don't think I ever went to the video store armed. Yeah, I was terrified. <laughs> I guess. Damn. Yeah. I remember a couple trips, you know, because it was a good uh, – It's about a half mile, I think, from my house to the video store. And I do remember nights uh, after seeing a scary film, you know, like the night before, riding my bike home at at dusk, getting a little freaked out Uh, just because, you know, childhood imagination, man. It just goes crazy. Like it just makes innocent things seem horrendously terrifying. But, yeah, I don't think I ever felt so uh, in peril that I, I carried a knife. That's legit. That's some that's some trauma there.
1: Yeah, that that, that <laughs> event with girls scared the shit out of me on my yeah, uh, yeah. my street, you know. And, and so there was like a lot of kidnappings in the eighties. So that so that's what that's so that's one of the reasons why I stayed home probably all the time watching movies. I'd yeah. make it to the video store, rent like a handful of films, and then I'd just be locked in. <laughs> so watching. when when did you decide to get into film? When did you decide
0: this is this is a career that I want to have?
1: Uh, I mean, it was always early on I I knew I wanted to do it because I used to write stories and, you know, like the first story I wrote in school. God, I was 10 years old and I wrote this story about a guy who gets his because I just learned about the human anatomy and I ripped off the Stephen King Running Man book where I wrote a story about a guy who gets his guts blown out of him while he's shopping. By this alien with this gun, but he's like sliding on the produce like apples and his intestines and guts in the supermarket with his stomach <laughs> open. So that was the story I wrote. And so it was from a family the, movie. Yeah, well, it, that was a story when I wrote when I was 10 in school. And then from that moment on until I graduated high school, I had to see a psychiatrist. <laughs> because <laughs> so that was the first story I ever wrote and i guess it had such an impact that they had to send me to the fucking psychiatrist to like gra- so it was like the third grade until i graduated that's great gra- that's effective th- writing though yeah i guess so that's but how I always, good it was i get yeah, or this kid is crazy yeah <laughs> so that i mean i always knew i wanted to make movies but at the time i didn't really know so i always wrote crazy stories and um yeah, so I thought I was going to be a makeup effects artist at first, but I had no real good art skills and my dad kind of broke it to me. He's like you can't you can't do that for a living. You have like no art skills. And then that was probably right when I was entering high school. And then immediately my mind changed to, well, I'll just make movies then. I don't have to do the effects, you know. I always thought about you know, making movies anyway my whole life. So right. So it was always there in my head. I always wanted to do it to be honest. How did swingers come up? God, I was, that was, I went to film school and then my film school, I went to, I, I dropped out of film school and I was just working. I was just, I was like a mercenary at the time. I would, It would just be like, you get a phone call and one day I'd be doing a, electric work on a Corman movie. Another day you know, I'd be doing art department on some weird CD-ROM game, that old technology. And then, so, and then one day, you know, I got a call to work on swingers from someone who I just, who I worked with. And so that's how I got on it. It was just, I had no idea it was going to be this big independent movie or anything. It was just one day I just got to a set huh. and, and, it was, and went, what I, kind of stuff were you doing on the set? I was electrician and I got there the day that it was the, the phone call with John Favreau when he's on the phone with Vince Vaughn ta- trying to talk him into going to Vegas. Nice. That was the first day I was there. Well, the first shot they did that day was the, the scene when uh, John Favreau was on the floor in the kitchen and Ron Perlman – Ron Perlman, wrong guy. Ron Livingston comes in and gives him orange juice. Yeah, yeah. So that was the first scene – that was the first date. That was the that was the morning I, I came in. I was on the set during that scene, and it hit me. I was like, "Oh man, this is one of those gay movies I've been hearing about. That's like the big thing right now." Oh, you know, because the movie was called Swingers, and John Favreau had so much makeup, and this guy was giving him orange juice. And then all of a sudden, later on that day, when I just kind of when Vince Vaughn came in and did that whole, so that whole scene when John Favreau is on the phone and Vince Vaughn calls him. Vince Vaughn was actually right outside the door in the hallway walking up and down just just like sometimes improv and just going off with that dialogue. It was amazing. They were like right next to each other. John Favreau was in that room and, and Vince Vaughn was outside the hallway walking back and forth and I was sitting in that hallway like you know on the floor. Vince Vaughn was literally walking past back and forth past me while he was delivering that dialogue and then it started hitting me oh, oh this isn't a gay movie this is something totally different like what is this you know because <laughs> i've never heard dialogue like that before really Right? because i worked on like corman i worked on some really bad fucking movies and so all of a sudden i was like wait this is this, this is i'm working on an actual good movie this is this is interesting so it was you know it was it was a It was a pretty wild, like at the time I had no idea it was going to be a big film because I was working on shitty movie after shitty movie after shitty movie and then it wasn't until I found out it got sold to Sundance that I was like, whoa, I actually made some, I actually worked on something that's actually going to be good. Right. Yeah, because I was working on garbage, like made for Playboy films and a lot of stuff that's not on my IMDb. You know, I just, I was just constantly just working on whatever I can get in. Right.
0: Right. And so what led up to to Jodorowsky's Dune? How did you become involved in that?
1: Well, after I got out of doing electrician work, because um, I just almost died on a movie I was working on. Like a what happened there? Uh, they didn't shut off the uh, generator, and the, the guy, the best boy, told me he did. And then when I went to unplug the uh, the wiring, it fucking sh- and sprinklers were going off. I got like the weird the. I got a horrible jolt. Little did I know I could have probably fucking sued them, like thinking back on it or whatever. Oh, you know? yeah, I was yeah. At the time I was a kid. I could have I funded your know.
0: next production.
1: Yeah, yeah, seriously. And so I just kind of quit after that because that whole production, it's called Street Corner Justice – it was just a, it was just a mess, man. I w- it was a terror. It was like the one movie when I got a call, I had to take it because I needed the money because I was make. I only made fifty dollars a day on swingers, but when I was working on PM Entertainment and that type of shit, I was making one fifty a day, you know. And as a t- kid, it was a lot of, you know. But it was terrifying work, yeah. <laughs> you yeah. Know? So I couldn't do that work anymore. I was just kind of freaked out after that night because it was like I had a few accidents on that movie, and I was like, you know what? this i I can't do this shit anymore so i ended up just working in a production office and that's where i first i was already obsessed with jordorowski at the time but this is like no late 90s i just came across a website like the only website at the time on jordorowski and they had this little picture of jordorowski's dune of the guy of the little art of the guy with his arms up and the worm and I got obsessed, like I lost my shit. I was like, Jodorowsky was going to direct Dune? Because I was a huge fan of David Lynch's Dune growing up, huge. And from that moment on, I just started researching it for years. And it wasn't to research it because I thought I was going to make a doc. I was just researching it because I needed to know everything about that movie. And then eventually when I had enough research, God, what year was it? Like 07 maybe is when I approached Frank Pavich to direct it. So we did New York hardcore together mm-hmm. in the 90s, and then for years we tried to make a straight edge movie because we were trying to follow Penelope Spears' footsteps with doing a punk rock doc and then doing like an edgy, you know, she did Suburbia and we wanted to do straight edge as our follow up, but it right. just absolutely fell apart like twice. And so Frank and I just had nothing to work on, and I brought Frank. Jodorowsky's Dune because I just did all this, I had all this research and so... Did you have an outline at that point or did you just bring him No, I just gave him I just gave him, I just he was actually packing up LA and moving back to New York and so I just spent the next few months just sending him all the research, like, you know, like uh, the documentary from Fondo and Liz, all the Starlog articles like a find on Giger and whenever they do a little thing on Dune. It was just countless stuff from the library whenever they talked about it, like in Variety, like just everything I could find and just dig out, out of newspapers, just everything. And then he finally... Um, and then by that, by that time, there was this website called DuneInfo.com, which got their hands on like uh, concept art of Mobius' character designs and stuff. And for once, all this stuff actually started coming online. And by the way, that every, if anyone's listening that is fascinated with Dune or Jordorowski's Dune, check out DuneInfo.com. This guy is amazing. On Facebook, he's actually putting together the, the, that that book, that binder from Photo from like screen stills and collecting it from everywhere. He's doing an incredible job. Oh, wow. Yeah, he's amazing. So, anyway, I I just gave Frank all this information, and then Frank eventually, like, then called me. He's like, all right, you're on to something. And Frank found Jordorowski's acting agent's um, (laughs) email and sent him an email. And then it took a long time for Jordorowski to get back to us, and then eventually he did. And then that's when we got off and running with it.
0: That is amazing.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm still shocked it happened because I was I'm still can't believe that got made. I'm shocked. Yeah. And humbled. Don't get me wrong. I'm really happy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, his uh his
0: supporters are so unique because they're it's almost like they're they're they quietly support him. Um, you, you never see his name kind of splashed everywhere but i'll tell you on, on one perfect shot you are always guaranteed for at least a hundred re- retweets on anything from his work uh, yeah. like always um so is and is that why you are you were kind of um you weren't sure if it was going to work or not because you 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 didn't know the level of his support or interest in the in the project yeah well
1: it's just he just seemed unattain, uh, like is it unattainable. Is that the word? I'm trying to yeah. say? Like, Because yeah. in the nineties, like I followed him on IMDb every day because one second sons of El Topo was up and then it turned into Abel Kane. And then a King shot was up, but he can never get a movie made. Right. You know, but every time I went on IMDb and if I saw like some new cast member or someone attached to it, I would just, Get a, a natural high. I was so excited, like, holy shit, we might get another Jordorowski movie, right. but they never happened. So, yeah, he feels like
0: Terry Gilliam,
1: like he's the the art house Terry Gilliam kind of. Oh, seriously, because after *Santa Sangre*, you know, was not really a Jordorowski movie. *Rainbow Thief* really isn't. Yeah. I mean, there has a lot of him in it. If you really want, if you watch it, you could see, you could feel him in it, but it's not really him. Yeah, you know, so. So throughout the 2000s, you know, he just, no one was talking about him. He was, his movies weren't released still on DVD or anything. They were just, you know, so I didn't think it was even possible to find him or to get him because it was just, he just was not out there at all. No. I just thought it was like an impossibility because he was rarely interviewed too. Like the only thing that was out about him was that Constellation Jodorowsky doc. Yeah. You know? So, yeah, it was really kind of the Severin when when
0: Severin started doing I think when they released uh, Santa Sagra, that was kind of when you saw the interest, like people were like, oh, 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 yeah, him. You know, because I remember seeing that spike even on Daily Grindhouse. It was uh, there was there was a huge interest in him uh, with those movies, uh, with with what Severin did.
1: You're absolutely right. We act we, we watched that disc when we were in that disc just came out when we were shooting his first interviews in France huh. yeah because I bought it right before we left so we could watch the special features because it was brand new <laughs> while we were wow. out there you know so I'll never forget that it was kind of exciting to see that too oh I'm sure what was, and he, then like on- to, uh, what was he like to work with uh, it, it wasn't like we worked with him or it was just that we go to his. We went to his house like three times during during the first trip out to during our first trip out. We got three interviews with him. So we no no it was four. We saw him four times. First we had a meeting and then we went back for three interviews. And I mean he was interesting. I mean well the first day we, we shot um, the the DP. He was right. He just didn't want he didn't want the interview to feel like whenever. He, people shoot jordorowski they kind of shoot him in the same place in his in his in his office mm-hmm. he wanted something different so we asked his assistant if we could move some of his books and just make like a better make something a little like because the dp kind of thought it might be a little too sloppy i mean it was him who he is so we wanted to make just something a little bit more cleaner for his interview segments so the his assistant said we could move some of his books around so we did and when Jodorowsky came in and saw us smooth as stuff, he like flipped out and like yelled at us. And we yes, felt, I was hoping you had a Jodorowsky
0: tantrum story.
1: Yeah, so we felt like little <laughs> kids being yelled at by our parent, you know, by our dad. We felt so bad. It was like our first day of shooting and but eventually what that kinda led to was although a lot of those powerful moments in the film when he's upset, that was from that day so it oh, did kind of carry out, over it did, it did bring out some really good energy out of him which is awesome. <laughs> that's terrific you know so in a way it did it did help but besides that he was really cool you know he did answer our questions he was very like you said those interviews he's so animated and he's so into the whole thing yeah. so that's yeah. that was really exciting plus we didn't have a trans. we did not have anyone um uh what's the word um like translate yeah, we had no translation on set, oh, only wow. for Giger because his wife was there. <coughs> huh. Excuse me, but um, so did he, we had, did. Did he read your uh, do your
0: tarot cards?
1: No, never had a chance for that. That would have been a dream come true for me. Yeah, but ah, uh, what are you get? I got to make the a movie that I, I spent ten years trying to make. So I'm I'm lucky. What does
0: uh, <laughs> Jodorowsky's house smell like? Because I'm picturing. Uh, a <laughs> patchouli
1: with a little bit of weed that is so hilarious i can't even tell you to be honest i nothing really sh- sh- you know i it was the first time in france and out of the country so everything was kind of a new jarring oh, experience I'm sure, for me. Yeah. so I, I cannot tell you i just know it's like i was staring at all the posters he had of his oh, movies i can't even, even that- imagine yeah, he had like a cool Abel Kane poster for the movie that never came out. And then my favorite was, I tell this all the time, um, is that I was going, I, you know, when you're at someone's house being a movie fan, you got to look at their movies. Yeah. And I took a picture of it, but he had a copy of Cradle to the Grave, that Jet Li <laughs> movie. And I was so psyched to see that, man. Oh, that is like, awesome. 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 Yes. It was on the top of his stack. How? I mean,
0: why is Joe Jodorowsky watching that? That is amazing.
1: Yeah, I mean, I love that movie. Oh, yeah. I watched the shit out of that movie for some reason, but the fact that he he, he owns it on DVD and had it on the top of his pile. Yeah. Yeah,
0: because that, yeah, that was it, during the time it was like uh, the DMX movies were coming out, the Jet Li movies.
1: Yes, yeah. the hip-hop, the hip-hop yeah. show artists. Never Die, was it Never Die Alone? Is that... What was that was... DMX's solo movie. Yeah, right. But before that was the, yeah, the Cradle to the Grave, and then there exit was... Exit Wounds. Ro- exit Wounds, and Mo- uh, Romeo, Romeo Must Die. Romeo's Bleeding. No, Romeo is Bleeding. Yeah, Romeo Must Die. Romeo's Bleeding is the fucking Gary Oldman movie. I almost said that, actually.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Which but, I love. The great Lena Olin performance in that. Oh, yeah, she's awesome in that. But So, man, yeah. talk to me about Beyond the Gates, because I... I it, you know, I cut myself off earlier, but I have to say that this is one of – it It slipped by me because when it showed up last week, um, I remember seeing – I remember the cover, and I remember somebody talking about it on Facebook, and I almost didn't watch it. And then I put it in, and man, this took me back – it's like a time machine because it fucking took me back to being a little kid watching horror movies at like 2 a.m., uh, when I know I'm not supposed to be watching it, it is so fun, and it beats with such a pure heart of uh, of, of horror history. Um, it just it blew me away, and I think people are going to uh, people are going to to find this movie. And you can see uh, kind of a following being built up behind this behind this film. What, what talk to me about the creation of this?
1: I I don't know. I grew up with those VHS VCR board games, so. Yeah. I've always had it in my head for some reason throughout the 90s that I wanted to do something with that because I was still I was I, I didn't make my first move I only made this was my my first feature I was really involved with because I mostly did documentary. I did two documentaries before this. I I always wanted to do one but I always thought like ah maybe it's such a weird technology, you know. I kept putting it off, but then eventually I sat down and started writing it. And then I gave up on it, like, after, like, 30 pages, I think. And and then I met Jack, I met Jackson Stewart. And the first time we hung out and had coffee, we were just talking about our favorite movies and favorite genres. We were, kind, we were bonding, in a way, you know? Mm-hmm. And then I just told them about this idea I had about a VCR board game that opens the gates to another dimension. And I also told them the idea about, you know, two brothers who were the two brothers find this VCR board game while they're closing down their dad's uh video store after he's gone missing and and then Jackson like lit up and immediately was in love with the concept and I'm very lucky about that because I almost didn't even tell him about it because I pitch a lot of movie ideas and sometimes they're really out there and I can't tell when people are going to roll their eyes or if it's actually going to hit you know yeah so I, i'm very lucky i told him that idea at that point because he just lit up and we, yeah we just started writing it and it was like in may we met and by the end of the summer it was written you know we were just we cranked it out and it was like it was an amazing experience for me writing that movie with him i had a great time and i couldn't believe we were writing a movie about a haunted vcr board game you know right. like i I think I was just really happy that someone believed in my idea for once instead of, like, kind of, like, just throwing it away, right. you know. So so it was a really good feeling, and I'm very, you know, very lucky I, I met up with him because he, you know, he, he knew exactly what the movie was, you right. know, and he, he pushed it. He He raised the money, like – we couldn't find a house, and that house in the movie, like literally, he was driving down a street, saw that house, got out of his car, and knocked on the door and asked them if he can shoot there, and they said yes. Hmm. You know, like the kid, like he killed it, man. Like he knew what he wanted, and you know, he, he was an amazing person to work with. What was your writing process like? It was first like outlining. Like he he ran away with the outline. I kind of we had coffee a few times, and we talked about the story first I was telling him about my original concept the one I had 30 pages for most of that went away plus Mm -hmm. I had a different type of killer in it and I might I'm kind of working on an outline for like a spin-off using that old concept actually right now so I I won't go into that but we pretty much threw away everything of my original concept except the opening where two brothers go into a video store and start closing it up you know so taking that jack um jackson ran off and came back with an outline and we discussed the outline while he was kind of working on the outline i was still trying to figure out the game mechanics as well you know Mm -hmm. and so eventually when enough game mechanics were done and the outline was there like he would um I would do 20 pages of the outline from Word, put into final draft, and then the next, then I'd hand it to him two, three days later, and he would do the same take another 20, add another 20 pages into final draft from the outline.
0: Nice.
1: And, and then all of a sudden the outline was complete from Word into final draft. And then that's when you kind of go in and start really connecting and really writing, you know? Right. So, yeah, that was the process. It was back and forth like that.
0: And had you guys had financing worked out or did you did you take this to uh
1: crowdsourcing or I took it to a few companies that do horror. I don't want to okay. say who they are, but they 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 do horror and no one wanted to even read the script hmm. because they just kind of the concept of a VCR board game I understand, you know. <laughs> they yeah. were like, are "You, you know, really?" So, it had to be... So, Jackson raised a lot of the money. Jackson raised pretty much most of the money, and then he got the script of Barbara Crampton. And then she read it and became a producer and helped a lot. Who who apparently has decided not to age. Yeah, she's amazing. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, she's brilliant in the movie. Yeah, uh, yeah, she's fantastic. It was a dream to work with her, and she's amazing. Like, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> can't say enough great things about her she is really talented and she, she is
0: man and i just the few times that i've talked to her uh she's just like uh man she's just zero ego you know she's like yeah
1: i'm really happy all this like she's been getting like lifetime achievement awards now and yeah it's been really cool to see that you know especially you know my dad took me to see from beyond in the theaters when i was a kid you know, and I knew of Barbara Crampton from Fangoria and stuff. So I was a huge fan of hers. Right. Especially as a teen, as a young teenager was From Beyond, you know. So. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So to work with her years later was like a dream, was like one of those things where I was like, you know, I've been very, very lucky <laughs> to like yeah. work with an, a director I idolized like Jodorowsky and then to work with Barbara Crampton, an actress who I was just huge fan of huge so i've been very fortunate so have you taken
0: uh, beyond the gates uh, the the festival circuit before the before the, the the home video release or did it go straight to home video
1: it, it played it op- it premiered at the los angeles film festival actually last june and we won the our uh we won the what the hell is it called i'm so sorry like the audience award kind of thing yeah, I'm so. I feel terrible. I'm spacing on what it was called, but yeah, we won. So that was wow, awesome. <laughs> that, to
0: have the, the, that moment when you won that award had to have been some kind of vindication, right?
1: Yeah, it, it, yeah. It's because we don't know because you don't know what you have until you start showing it to people.
0: Sure, yeah, absolutely.
1: Because as a filmmaker at, at, yourself, all you see is the you kind of can't help to see flaws, like things that might have been in an early cut that you wish was like that or you know it, i always like,
0: describe it as like it, when when you hear yourself talking on the phone and you yeah. think that's not that's <laughs> not my voice like that's what the filmmaking process is like <laughs>
1: <laughs> you're you're so right <laughs> it's hard because well i think it's better to be harder and expect something like that than to have a shitload of ego and be like it's gonna be the greatest thing you know i I can't i'm never (laughs) like that i have to you know it's i guess it's always better to be like weary right so the fact that you know it won and then when people you don't know like the film a lot and they're Texting you and reaching out to you on social media—it really feels good. You're like, wow, now I'm—you know—that's really cool. So I'm just happy people like it. I'm happy because the movie—you know—it was a lot of Jackson and I in that film. Like I grew up at the video store. Jackson worked at a video store. Yeah, you know, we were both. You know, I was a huge fan of Stuart Gordon, and he was actually Stuart Gordon's assistant. You know, so a lot of us were a lot of us are in that film in my obsession with vcr board games and you know in getting to work on those video those mechanics i'm just yeah i'm, I'm very i'm just blown away that it got made you know yeah. i worked on so many movies that don't get made so yeah it, it's a great experience right now that people like it i'm like really blown away by it because i because I think the other cool thing about the film is is that something I learned from Jackson, which I thought was amazing, was that he we shot like in April, but in October he had the special effects people start the effects, and um, C- Sierra and and uh, God, oh no, I feel like a dick. Why am I spacing on their <laughs> on their last name? I'm messed this morning. They did uh, they did effects for like for Southbound Sierra and Josh Russell. They were, oh, yeah. yeah. So they were amazing. They started the effects back in October, and so I think that's and that's one of the reasons. So when it time to eventually come to shoot, everything was just ready to go and in great shape. And I think that's what. And plus, for for, J- for Jackson and I, it was also a battle on how to pace the movie because it's like it's the the law that you have to start the movie with some type of horror or or a gore gag. Sure, to keep yeah. the audience in. But yeah, that was one thing him and I stuck to. Is like, we just wanted to open it kind of slow. So when the horror starts happening, maybe it'll be more of an impact on people. Mm-hmm. And so I'm happy that people are kind of getting that, near ner- digging that too. You know, I'm, like, like I said, I'm just happy people like it.
0: Beyond the Gates is available to stream now on Netflix. Make sure to check it out. All right, film fans. That's it for this episode of Film Itself. Before we go, a reminder you can subscribe to our network of shows on Stitcher, iTunes, or your favorite podcast app by simply searching One Perfect Pod and clicking whatever comes back to you. When you subscribe, you'll get access to the entire family of One Perfect Podcasts, five shows strong and growing. You can also visit filmschoolrejects.com/pod for additional information. And don't forget to leave a rating on iTunes and let us know how we're doing. On social media, you can follow the site on Twitter using at OnePerfectShot and on Facebook by adding backslash OnePerfectShot to the URL. If you want to follow me, you can do so on Twitter at the Jeff todd That's Jeff with a G like the goddamn giraffe. You can also check out my new show, Geek and the Cop, which you can find at geekandthecop.com or on Twitter at GeekintheCop. And last but not least, any questions, comments, concerns, or cash you want to share with us, you can do so by emailing pod at filmschoolrejects.com. That's P-O-D at filmschoolrejects.com. Until next time, here's to good watching. Sully.